Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. Hey, I really appreciate you turning in. If this is the, tuning in, if this is the first time you have ever listened to one of the episodes of this show, I think you're going to be in store for some really interesting information. If uh, you're a longtime listener, as always, you know that my goal in hosting this show is to interview people from a variety of backgrounds who can sort of bring their story both for educational nuggets and for a little bit of inspiration for those of us who have our own businesses or want to have our own businesses. And so today I have Eric Mueller with me. And Eric is somebody, he's a friend of my friend Dave Lucas. If you listened to the show last year, I interviewed a guy who calls himself the Misfit Entrepreneur. And I was asking him, who did he know who I thought had to be on the show? And he couldn't say enough good things about Eric, who is also his business partner. He said he's like his brother. And I said, you know what? Let's just get Eric on the show and see what he has to share. So Eric calls himself a data plumber, which I liked because he said it's their job sort of to make sure that the data flows uh, in sort of the travel and entertainment business. And so I thought we would learn a little bit about his company, a little bit about his journey to get there, and uh, maybe walk away with some inspiration. So Eric Mueller, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on, Tom. Great. So I don't like to read bios about people's companies. You know, PR people put together these really long blah, blah, blah. I'd rather you just tell us who is Eric and what do you do? Um, I am kind of a creative spirit. Um, I, uh, I kind of grew up uh, doing a wide variety of things, um, magic, um, one of the things I love being a dishwasher. I liked hard jobs, things like that. Growing up, grew up in the Midwest, and uh, always had a natural aptitude for programming, um, and not such a good aptitude for school. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think a um, lot. I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, my parents always called me a, a, an underperformer. <laughs> <laughs> Or never, read, never, never living up to my potential. But um, they're singing a different story now. So. I was, I was just going to say. I think the last few years you've proved them that maybe you were just a late bloomer. Yeah. <laughs> so, what yeah. does your company do? So, so tell us about your your organization. Um, so, uh, Grasp Technologies provides. Uh, uh, we're the largest provider of business intelligence uh, platforms for corporate travel agencies. So they white label our solution to provide dashboards to their corporate customers. Uh, we collect all the information for them, make it pretty, um, and then they put their logo and stuff on it. So kind of like your banking site when you log in. You know, there's probably one company that makes it for all the banks. We do that for the travel space. And then we do data enrichment for like other companies. Uh, like um, the payment companies, MasterCard, Visa, those kind of entities are looking to take the swipe data and then put the travel data with it. So uh, we're kind of the Switzerland of data. Anybody wants to share data with somebody else within the travel space, expense, credit card, whatever, they come to us and we facilitate it. So you said that, you know, you kind of started off, you, you washed dishes, you were a magician, mm -hmm. you liked kind of the dirty, hard jobs. So what led you to becoming an entrepreneur? I mean, it doesn't sound like that was your natural being, or, or was it? 
Well, that's the thing. Looking back now, it was totally my my thing. I, I, I just think it was in my DNA. And when I was in elementary school, I used to sell hubba bubba uh, bubble gum to <laughs> other kids. You know, you could buy a bag for like two bucks and they could sell them for a quarter a piece. And that got me hooked. And then uh, you know, in the army, I in basic training, I'd sneak out and go to the PX and buy a carton of cigarettes and sell each cigarette for a buck a piece. And there was just something about that. It was like, you know, you're providing a service, making people happy, and you're getting money in return. I got hooked. <laughs> so what do you think the difference was for you between kind of bouncing around from those types of jobs and piecing it together to really having this great company that you have today? Where, how did you bridge that? Um, I don't know. I think it was, it, it just, it was always kind of simmering inside of me. I worked for, uh, I liked working for smaller companies, um, but one company I got involved with was a travel agency. I worked at uh, Bank One for a period of time and they had a data or a travel division. Um, and I was pretty creative. I was in an uh, industrial band and uh, I didn't really fit the bank culture. So they moved me to travel. And uh, But uh, we got acquired a number of times and got very, very large. And I just didn't like the bureaucracy of a, a big company. So I decided to start my own and started an IT services company. But got dragged back into travel and I love programming and was always making tools for people. So I just kept rolling with it. Uh, my wife encouraged me to, when I told her I wanted to quit my job and uh, start my own company, she said, do it. And I never had anybody, really felt that I had anybody support me in that way. And I did it and never looked back. So how long ago did you start this company? Um, I started the IT services company in 96 um, I, my last day of work was April 1st. It took them about a month to figure out that it wasn't the joke. Um, and, and then my uh, client uh, or my uh, employer became one of my first clients. They cut me a, a check. I showed them how I could do the work I'd been doing for them for less. And they cut me a check and basically paid me for a whole year's worth of work at half my, my original salary. And I used that to kind of fund the business. That's nice. Exactly. Well, we, we have something in common. I actually got laid off on April 1st, 2009. And I always joke that the irony of being laid off on April 1st has never been lost on me. <laughs> yeah. So that's always my anniversary. And then uh, in 2000, I set up uh, Grasp as a C Corp. And I was, you know, the, the whole uh, IT or a whole technology thing was booming then. Little did I know we were rushing towards the cliff. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I started trying to do fundraising and I just about closed my first funding round. And then 9 11 happened and, uh, you know, the dot com bubble burst and, uh, you know, just had to, you know, tough it out. So, uh, one of the things you told me before we got started is, you know, that 13 years ago, you decided just to sort of scrap it all where you were living and, and relocate to a place that you and your wife had always dreamed of going to. So you got in the car and, and you drove across country and, and, and moved to San Diego. I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs who kind of have taken advantage of that sort of location freedom and just followed their dream to live where they want. Uh, what caused you to do that? Um, you know, we've lived most of our life in, uh, uh, in the Ohio area, Columbus, Cleveland, and uh, you know, we when we first got married, we talked about places we wanted to live. Um, I was in the army and stationed out in Washington, so I really loved Seattle. She had always dreamed of moving to San Diego, and um, we had talked about Austin, a few other coastal cities, and uh, we went and looked at them. 
but then, you know, life happens and I started the business and, you know, you're basically broke for a very, very long time. So uh, <laughs> we never really had the funds to move. But at some point, we had to decide what we were going to do with our life. And money or not, we decided that it would be an improvement to our mental health if we moved somewhere else. We were just ready for a change. You know, I've been you know, doing the business for about 10, 10 years at that point and just needed a change. So we just picked a date and did it. So every January when you're in San Diego, are you grateful that you're not in Ohio? Every day. I love, I, no, don't get me wrong. I love Ohio. Uh, we go back and visit frequently. There's so much to do. There's so much activity there. But uh, every morning I wake up and the sun's shining and it's a pleasant temperature out. So it's very, it's much easier to have a good attitude when things are going bad when uh, the climate participates. <laughs> yeah, well, I joke that there's a lot of podcasters and a lot of solopreneurs who live in San Diego because they, they can. And uh, I always joke that, you know, the one thing about, about San Diego is, is they call it America's finest city. And I always joke about living in Austin, Texas, because our weather is very much like San Diego in April and October. And I call them Chamber of Commerce days. And people are always like, oh, it's so beautiful here in April. And I'm like, yes, but if it was like this 365 days a year, we would call it San Diego. I just think San Diego, there's a reason they call it America's finest city, and it has to do with the weather. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. And the people are super nice. Um, it's a lot of people that re relocated from the Midwest. So it's got that Midwest work ethic mentality. People are pretty easy to talk to and get to know and genuine. So, yeah, it, it, the transition was super easy. So now that you've been working for yourself for many years – what is it that you love about the lifestyle of an entrepreneur? Oh, I thrive on chaos. <laughs> I love when things are at their worst, that's when I'm at my best. So I love, I need to be constantly challenged. I have kind of a short attention span. So, um, and I manage stress. Well, I don't get stressed out. The only time I get upset or I uh, can't sleep is if, you know, one of my employees isn't happy at work or one of my clients isn't happy. Those kind of things cut me to the core and I just lay there and toss and turn and you know, I just have a strong desire to help people and make them happy. So, um, but other than that, the, the stress, the constant challenges, the twists and turns, I love it. You know, it's hard. So um, do you think, but, a uh, do you think a lot of people get into entrepreneurship, not realizing how hard it is? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's really, really, really hard. But um, as you go through it, you continually are developing new skills and uh, and then you eventually learn how to run a company. Um, the, uh, for me, it's been especially recently, I've realized that all the friends I've kept over the years and the closeness I've had with them, you know, they kind of support you. And, uh, you know, if I wanted to start another business tomorrow, you know, I know a lot of really smart people that have really strong skills in certain areas and and we have a good working relationship. So if you've got that and you realize that you can't do it all, that's the thing I think entrepreneurs trip on. And I tripped on it for many years is thinking that I knew more than other people or I could, was the only one that could do things right. And as soon as I let that go, my business exploded. So that brings up an interesting thing because there is sort of the Lone Ranger feeling about entrepreneurs, you know, out there, out there in the world, especially small business entrepreneurs. I mean, we interview a lot of people who are kind of solopreneurs who kind of threw their hands up, said my ladder's against the wrong wall and just found their own way to, to, to make it in the world. 
But what is it like? You have a business partner. So what is it like when you have a business partner? And did you always have the business partner? Did you bring him in later? How did that how did that come about? Yeah, he was the third one. Um, I had two other ones. And uh, I'll tell you, the first time you miss a payroll, you know who's committed. Um, And uh, Dave Dave came in. uh, I saw in him a lot of things that I didn't have. We really balanced each other out. Um, And uh, he actually started as a consultant with me and uh, got to know the business and saw the opportunity. And uh, yeah, we just complimented each other. It's been a great relationship. But the other uh, two former business partners, it was amicable, but they just couldn't handle the high, they just didn't have a high risk tolerance. And running your own business, even after 20 years, you know, something can go sideways, a lawsuit, a loss of a large customer, and you're basically facing, you know, a huge, you know, payroll check that you've got to make and the cash flow may not be there to do it. You've got to really be able to take a deep breath and just push forward. Yeah, well, I know. I mean, even when you're a solopreneur and you don't have the payroll for other people to meet, you still have the thing that, you know, you, you can come off your best year ever and then have a crappy quarter. And all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> oh, I still have a mortgage I have to pay. I mean, I've been through that is that I've had the ups and downs working for myself for nine years. And I think I'm crushing it. I'm killing it. And then there seems to be no sales. And, and I would sit and cry in my beer thinking it's over. I've overplayed this thing. I'm Nobody wants to hire me. And then the next quarter, I have the record quarter I've ever had, and I make up for the first quarter. And what I've learned over nine years is where you say you thrive on chaos. I don't think I did. And I think what I've learned is I don't have to thrive on it. I just have to realize it's going to happen and be like, no, okay, you know, it's going to be okay next month. I'll figure it out. (laughs) So did did you know Dave before he became your partner, or is this something he became a consultant and you brought him in at that point? Yeah, no, he just walked into my office – no announcement or anything like that. Uh, he was uh, managing uh, a region for paychecks and uh, he just walked in and said, Hey, you know, I'm with paychecks. I just wanted to poke my head in and you know, I know you guys are a client and just wanted to introduce myself. And we sat and talked for a while and I was like, I think he's selling, trying to sell me on something, but the way that he did it, it was super uh, education and relationship based. And before he left that day, I was like, you know, I, I want to learn how to do what you're doing to me right now. <laughs> so he's like, well, I happen to have a, a sales consulting uh, company on the side. Uh, you know, why don't we uh, talk? And uh, he signed me up before he walked out the door. So it worked uh, nice. in both ways. <laughs> nice. Well, he, he kind of has impressed me. I've only known him about six or seven months, but he impresses me because he kind of had looked through me and looked through the bullshit and kind of saw, you know, where I where I wasn't being all that I could be, if you will. And yeah. uh, so, you know, I'm I'm sort of impressed with that. So it's interesting to hear that's sort of how you guys connected as well. That's that that yeah. says a lot that that's his mo. Yeah, he's he's got a he's a sharp guy. So so is there anything you don't like about the entrepreneurship world? Is there any time you think I could have stayed with the bank? Yeah. No, I, I think once you get on, uh, well, I guess the it, it's uh, it's a it's a financial commitment, you know, and it you have to be willing to put your house, your kids, your life on the line for it. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. It's and, and that's it's it wears on you, you know. So there's some uh, depression, mental illness, that kind of stuff. It's very common. Uh, 
I joined an organization uh, called EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. I'm, I'm a huge fan of EO. Yeah. My, my business isn't large enough for me to qualify, but uh, I am a huge fan of yeah. EO, and I have a lot of friends who are currently active and past uh, EO members. I think it's a, a perfect place for entrepreneurs because it does help you with that. I'm not all alone. Yeah, yeah, because the yeah you can get super depressed just the the constant stress and uh, you know you're leveraging everything you own, including the business, and you know saving and putting money aside is never we don't really think at least I don't really think that way, and you know so you, there's a lot of risk there, and that that kind of wears on you. That's definitely the downside, um, but there's there's tons of upside. You know I've been able to vacation more. I've been able to do things that. I would have never been able to do working for the man. <laughs> so I have a lot of people who listen to the show who either have recently started sort of their entrepreneurial path or they still want to. Their ladder is still in corporate America, but they've, they've figured it out that it's against the wrong wall. And they want to do what you did. They want to just be able to walk away and maybe get their employer to be their first client. But what advice do you have for somebody who wants to make that shift? Oh, don't, uh, you know, really don't think too much about it. Don't plan it. Just start doing it. Um, but you have to realize once you take that step, there's no getting off that train afterwards. Um, quitting just can't be an option. Um, I, I think that's why so many uh, businesses fail is that it, it's not so much that there, there's so much success. There's so much opportunity out there. There is, it, it is infinite. And I think people, they get in their own way. Um, if they just commit to doing it no matter what, then they'll be successful. It's just how long's that timeline. So I talk a lot about in my work what I call the paradox of potential, and it sort of dovetails on what you just said. I think that when someone starts a business, they and their investors and their moms, everybody goes, oh my gosh, they have so much potential. But when we really look at how many businesses make it, the failure rate is really high. So there is a natural gap between having potential and achieving results. What do you think is the difference for those who work their way across that chasm? Oh, it, I honestly, I just think it's that it, you just have to have the tenacity, um, good problem solving skills, you know, it, because you can never anticipate the next crappy thing that's going to happen. Um, you know, and then being able to manage when the really good things happen too. I mean, when you have explosive growth, it sucks just as bad as not having enough growth, you know, or, or, or kind of sliding down. So just being consistent. Um, for me, it's things, I, I've got this mantra now where things aren't good or bad, they just are. Mm -hmm. And it, it allows me to kind of separate myself from the positive and the negative and just treat them as facts, as building blocks for things. So they're either lessons that I'm learning or they're, you know, things that are going to build on future success. So that's kind of where my, my head's at now. Well, you said something interesting. You said like fast growth, like boom, 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 can be as bad as sliding down. How come? I would think fast growth. Yay, I'm growing. Look at how fast I'm growing. Why can that be bad? Oh, it's, hor oh, it's horrible. It <laughs> why, sucks. why is it horrible? It sucks cash because, you know, you have a big, a big deal, a big client, a big shipment, um, and so you'll need to hire people. You'll need to put it, it, it draws on the, whatever resources you have. If you're resource strapped, you know, you've got to ask everybody to overperform. And when people are working 12 hour days and things like that, you're really only getting 
50% out of them because as you wear yourself down, you become less productive. And the thing is, is it's like you may be working on this new big, all these new deals, but then that doesn't leave any resources to support your existing customers. There's so many buttons and levers that get affected with high growth. And if you're not properly capitalized, you're going to have to get super creative. So, but how, how can an entrepreneur, especially one that's been struggling, walk away from like that fast growth deal? I mean, obviously, you know, if it comes, isn't the natural thought, just take it, take it, take it. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, and, and that's the thing you have to kind of choose. And we, in uh, three years ago, we, I actually asked my salespeople to stop selling. Um, Dave and I decided that, you know, we needed to, we had had was like 60% growth rate for three years. And we never had any time to work on operations or training employees. And we were hiring people and we had a bunch of employees that didn't know what they were doing because we couldn't onboard them because we were just throwing them at the fire and uh it just got to the point and, and you know you hopefully you get to that point where you recognize hey you know what growth is great but it's gotta you have to manage it um otherwise it's going to manage you and that is a recipe for disaster that'll put you out of business and we were very close a number of times because of that we had to delay payrolls because we couldn't do billable hours, because we were just focused on implementation, and we were basically borrowing money from the future. So all that sales income was used to pay off other things that we were doing, and things just get out of alignment. And uh, uh, yeah, our CFO just about had a mental breakdown. He's just like, "You can't keep doing this." <laughs> <laughs> so how did the salespeople react to? Because I'm an old salesperson. I mean, we a yeah. you get paid on what you sell. B you're really a salesperson it's kind of in your blood and if somebody comes and says stop selling how, how did they react did they quit did they leave no they uh you know we gave them the business case for it and showed them that there was a downstream benefit of it and they knew it too especially if your team's been together for a while they feel the stress you know and we have regular you know weekly calls so they they know what's going on in the business and they they can feel the pressure and they're hearing it from the support team and stuff like that. So they welcomed it, you know, and they, it didn't stop them from doing what they were doing. They were just slowing it down. I mean, we didn't act, actually ask them to stop, but we did ask them to slow down and push things out. So they just kept working on the, the other aspect of their job, which is that relationship building. Uh, so they went around and they, we had them sell more of the things that we could produce or deliver easily and less of the complicated things. And we just told people, Hey, you know what? We can't get that to that for another six months, or we can't get to that for another year, which is a hard conversation to have, but professional salespeople know how to navigate that. Sure. So. Sure. Well, and I think you touched on, it. if you have a good team, then, you know, it's the old joke. There's no I in team. And, <laughs> you know, it's, if, if you really have a true team, people understand that, you know, this is the nature of the business. Yeah. And, you know, two years out from that, uh, you know, everybody just couldn't be happier because of how much it improved everything for everyone. So, right, right. Well, you were able then to grow the business, you know, at the proper levels and then probably everybody made more money. So that's a good thing for everybody. Yep. So, Eric, I've got a couple more questions for you before I let you go. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. 
Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Eric. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Eric, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing with your business right now? Oh, man. This is like the most exciting time, honestly, since the late 90s, early 2000s. There's so much new technology with, uh, you know, what's going on with uh, blockchain and uh, big data. You know, we're kind of like a rock and roll band. We're like a 15-year overnight success (laughs) because we've been building a data company for so long. And now everything's aligning. And our plan called for technology that didn't exist. So now all of the big data tools and things like that that are out there and all of the AI and machine learning, all that stuff, there's so many tools out there. We're just having so much fun playing in in the sandbox, you know, making new tools, making new things for our customers. Um, uh, You know, that's what's really cool. And, and seeing our clients succeed in their businesses as well. The travel industry is extremely competitive and some of the nicest people in the world, but they, their margins are fairly narrow. And I'm seeing a lot of success in our industry right now. I think we're going to hit $1.6 trillion this year uh, worldwide, which is phenomenal. So, Well, it's, it's interesting because the, the travel business, much like the meetings business, everybody thought there was going to be this big decline because of all of this technology and mobile and virtual and all this different stuff. And yet they're hitting record numbers. People are traveling more. They're attending more meetings. You know, they're, they're, they're taking more work and personal vacations and, and, and work trips. It's, uh, you know, it's fascinating that 10 years ago, everybody was worried about these industries because they thought people would just sit at home and click their way to experiences. And yet I think people are more hungry to, uh, to, to travel and attend meetings than ever before. Oh yeah. With the pace of change and the pace of business, having that personal connection and, you know, we spend so much time staring into our phones and things like that. It's just get good to get out and hug some people and, <laughs> um, and create real relationships. So yeah. yeah. And, and travel, travel is the greatest thing a person can do for their soul. In my yeah. opinion. I, you know, I just got back. Well, it's, been maybe a month, month and a half by the time this actually airs. But at the time we recorded it, just days ago, I got back from a trip to Yosemite. Have you ever been oh. to Yosemite? Oh, yeah. I had, I had never been. I thought I had been as a kid, but my brother did the math and he doesn't think I was born yet. But <laughs> uh, uh, I've never, I've been all over, I've been fortunate. I've been all over the world. My wife and kids have been fortunate. They've been all over the world. And when our kids turn 13, they get to plan a trip anywhere in the continental United States for three nights with their mom. And when they turn 16, they get to do it with their dad. And my my youngest kid just turned 16, and she picked Yosemite. And when she picked Yosemite, I looked at her and said, you said Boston, right? Because I'm more of a city <laughs> traveler. I kind of want to go and look at the city. And she really wanted to go to Yosemite. And so she and I packed up and flew to California and went to Yosemite and stayed in one of the tent cabins that they have in this thing called Half Dome Village. I think it used to be called oh, yeah. Curry. Curry Village was the old name of it. And uh, they're just these like side by side, you know, nine foot tall canvas wood frame tents and and the bathroom is a quarter mile down the road. And uh, we had a ball. We hiked probably over three days, three, three and a half days. We hiked 30 miles. Uh, you know, we ate in the cafeteria where they give you like a scoop of eggs. They use like a, 
uh, a scooper to, you know, like an ice cream scooper to give you your scoop of scrambled eggs. And it was totally rustic and totally awesome. And uh, it, it really did touch our sort of our soul to, to be there in Yosemite. And I was reminded that, uh, you know, like you said, travel is really a way to, uh, to sort of touch yourself in that cellular level. And you, you mentioned something I think is really important there, too, is building family traditions or even within your company, too. But having things like that, that, you know, everybody can kind of count on and look forward to, you know, um, I, you know, like we do a date night every Thursday night, you know, come hell or high water, even if we're not in the same place, you know, we try and carve out time for that. And, you know, that thing with, uh, you know, allowing your kids to pick a location or a place to go, that is it's super empowering for them, I imagine. Yeah. And I talked to my, my 21 year old, um, and I said, I'm having a great time with your sister on, on her trip. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm nostalgic about when you and I went to Boston and, you know, we had had such a good time. I'm having a great time with your sister. And she said, this is a good thing you guys did. Like she remembers her trip with mom, her trip with me. You know, she she thought it was really good. And my 16-year-old said, yeah, I think this is going to get passed down to the next generation. I think this was a good idea. What they awesome. don't know and what my wife doesn't know is I want to add to this tradition. And that is when they turn 25, I want to take them and their significant other, if they have one, uh, somewhere in the world. And so yeah. I, I haven't dropped this on anybody yet. And I'm pretty sure my kids don't listen to my podcast. <laughs> I was going to ask you, because I, I think you just broke. Well, broke you know, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I'm pretty sure that Jackie and Kate don't listen to the podcast. And if they oh. do, they probably don't stick 30 minutes in. So uh, if anybody else who knows them hears this, don't tip them off. Just just leave it out there. We'll surprise them at some other time. But I think uh, I think I might try to add in one more one more little piece to this tradition because uh, I think that that would be kind of awesome. And uh, my 21 year old has a significant other in his life, and you, you couldn't ask for a nicer young man to date your daughter. And it seems like they're they're working towards the long haul. So I thought you know it'd be fun to take them for like a week uh, somewhere in the world, and then do it with their sister when she gets to that age. So. Yeah, but, but you're right. Traditions are a good thing like that. So, hey, uh, I love to ask everybody who comes on the show. I mean, we could talk about you, Eric, and your company and the success that you're having. We could talk about that all day long. We could do hours on it. However, I think entrepreneurs are observers. So I love to ask the guests on this show, who do you see out there in the in the entrepreneur sphere, if you will, where you think, hey, he or she, they're doing cool stuff. Oh, that's a that's a tough one. There's so many people that. Uh, I kind of idolize. Yeah, it, it's funny. You know, everybody talks about Elon Musk, and he's getting the crap kicked out of him this week. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, yeah, I respect somebody that's willing to go out there and you know try and do big things, make things happen. So you know, I, I, I respect that. You know, I like a lot of people that are in the science space as well. Uh, they're doing research, and that I follow a ton of medical innovations and things like that. Uh, there's so much happening in that space too with data and, and the new things are coming out. I mean, they're going to, in the next few years, they may cure everything. We'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> well, that would be cool. Yeah. So the last question I ask everybody is, is what do you personally do to touch others, to give back to the greater good? Um, you know, for me, I like, to build strong personal relationships. I mean, I still talk to people that I worked with, you know, 25, 30 years ago. 
Um, and my employees, I support in anything that they want to do. Um, that's really kind of how I give back. I mentor a lot of people, even within inside and outside my organization, I encourage them to be entrepreneurs. Um, I've had employees leave. When an employee comes to me and tell me that they're leaving to start their own business, that's like the greatest day of my life. You know, <laughs> I've had a couple of employees do that that go on and uh, some successful, some not so much. But, you know, that I think that's a great thing. Um, and, you know, employees sometimes work for a company and don't really take care of them. Um, I'm always looking for ways to, to help my employees make their dreams come true. Um, so... The best, bo- the best bosses I ever had were the ones who said, I know you're just passing through this company. Give me everything you got while you're here and I'll support you for whatever the next step is. And not, I would say that was not the majority of bosses, but certainly the best ones that I ever had. Oh, I totally got it. I'm going to commandeer that. That's great. I love that. Yeah. So, hey, Eric, thank you so much for stepping in and being a guest here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I love it. I love your laid back style, but I also love your your embracing of, of chaos and just realizing it's just part of what happens to those of us who decide to work for ourselves. You you made it seem so simple where it probably freaks me out more than it should. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Tom. It's a great service that you provide, too, because I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for listening to podcasts, reading books. I mean, I just... It, it figuring stuff out on your own is really the long, long, painful road. If you can leverage what other people have already learned, that's the best thing you can do for yourself. So if someone's listening and they think, I got to know more about Eric Mueller, how do they find you? Well, there's always LinkedIn, uh, Eric with a K, but uh, our gra- our website is Grasp Tech. Uh, so like to grip and then tech, T-E-C-H dot com and uh Everything's out there. Uh, but yeah, if anybody's interested in connecting with me or wants advice or support, uh, I'd be happy to help. So That's awesome. Well, again, thank you for being a guest and thank you to everybody who tuned in. I say it every episode, if it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. So if you like the show, let me know. Reach out, send an email. Uh, go on to Twitter, at Cool Podcast. Uh, there's a Facebook page, Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. You can find everything about me and what I do at TomSinger.com. That's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. And if you want to join the group coaching program that I've put together, it's called the Potential Mastermind Project. And you can find all the information about that at PotentialMastermind.com. I would love to have you jump in and play with us in that group. Hey, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Eric Mueller. But in the meantime, I'm going to challenge you. Go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.